I think the what's interesting here is there's a lot of memes going around when Threads was out of like marketing managers and CMOs jumping in and like let them jump into Threads. But I think what brands need to remember is you need to have something to say in whatever social channel you are part of. It needs to be authentic to what you sell and who you are and where your audience is. And so if you're just jumping on the bandwagon of threads, like what's the point? Welcome to the Brew Digital Podcast. I'm Hayden. I'll be your host. I'm here with a big chunk of the Brew Digital Marketing team. We have Mark and Freya from the email team, Jason from our SEO team, Salfie and Debbie from our social team, Ross and Nasha from our paid team, and our head of digital marketing, Rich. I'm Hayden, and this is the Marketers of the Universe podcast. This is a podcast where our experts are going to talk top trends and insights that we've noticed this month across SEO, social, paid, and email. Okay, let's see how much knowledge we can cram into five minutes of chit chat. Let's crack on. So, section one, we are kicking things off with social, and our topic for today is threads versus Twitter. Timer just about ready to go. Countdown has started. I'm going to start by throwing this one over to you, Debbie. It feels like most other social media apps are growing organically. Fred's has grown out of a sort of Twitter rebellion. Do you see it lasting? Ooh, very good question. I feel like uh, it is the, the tricky part about social media channels. It's the retention. Do we all remember Clubhouse, for instance? It was the biggest thing. Everyone wanted to jump on it. Where is Clubhouse right now? Do I see it growing? I am on a wait and see club um, at the moment. I did download Threads. I was experimenting on it. But yeah, I'm, I'm just a lurker at the moment, trying to experiment, I would say. Nice. I know, Rich, you've used it a little bit as well. What are your thoughts so far? I've had an initial play much like the majority of people that have joined it just to see what all the buzz is about for me at the moment i think it's too early to tell personally i find the feed a little messy i'm not entirely sure i'm comfortable with another social media network entering a space where i don't really have control over my feed and um I'm seeing lots of stuff that ai is probably telling the algorithm i want to see but i really don't want to I think that brings a big question back round to machine learning and is the content what we want to see? Does it feel a bit forced? And are keen to just generally understand people's thoughts around how brands are going to use it, how it exists next to Twitter? I would say because this is very much driven by Instagram and Meta, I definitely see them using a lot of influencers with this and in a business lens. And at least my feed has already been flooded with that. I've already been seeing a lot of brands and influencers starting to occupy my feed, whether or not I like it or not. Maybe it's a bit cynical of me to think this, but Mark Zuckerberg announced that they would monetize the platform once they hit the billion user mark, which based on the growth within a week may not be that far ahead. 
And obviously that depends on the EU lifting their ban because at the moment, I believe there is some data laws, privacy issues around threads being launched in the EU. But fundamentally, I think this is another play from Meta to owning people's data, which in turn will drive advertising on the platform. So I don't think it will be too far in the distance before we see it heavily saturated with brands trying to reach their audience in another platform. Mm -hmm. Now, Twitter, I know from when I've used it in the past, there's a level of customer service there. Do you think that's something that brands can use threads for? I personally think like for brands who want to jump into threads, if they don't have a strong presence on Instagram and Twitter, I would say just wait it out because if your Twitter and Instagram are not strong enough in the first place, because essentially it's a combination of those two apps. And in terms of the customer service aspect of it, I believe because it's like a very much new, like even like any brands that I've seen on deck don't really know what they are doing other than like posting memes, like funny stuff, like like this post if you use this, like, you know, it's a very basic general level. And that's not even like a DM feature or anything yet. So I think maybe once they improve their UI and so on, maybe it could slowly replace Twitter. What Savvy said there about there's no DM feature yet. So it makes it completely irrelevant as a customer service channel because it means you can't have kind of any private discussions, share any private details and get the updates like that. So it does limit how much you can do. The fact that it asks so much in terms of privacy, but then offers so little is also a bigger concern from my point of view. I think that what's interesting here is there's a lot of memes going around when Threads was out of like marketing managers and CMOs jumping in and like, let them jump into Threads. But I think what brands need to remember is you need to have something to say in whatever social channel you are part of. It needs to be authentic to what you sell and who you are and where your audience is. And so if you're just jumping on the bandwagon of threads, like what's the point? The adoption is huge. And I wonder if younger people are, are on these platforms, are they looking for an escape from brands? In which case, we need to be more in tune with what people want to see. And I think based on what Debbie just said there, think about it in, in terms of what your overarching strategy is. What is the core message you're trying to um, promote? Who are you trying to talk to? And then consider which platforms are best. Just because this is a new shiny thing out of the box doesn't necessarily mean that you have to swarm to it. Really kind of focus in on if that's where your audience are, great. Um, but think about how you're going to talk to them in that particular channel. It doesn't necessarily need to be, hey, we're here, we're going to sell to you. Last one. What can someone listening go away right now and do when it comes to threads? If you think that threads is something that you should be part of, your brand should be part of, download it. Experience it. See what's up. Imagine like what type of messaging you'll be there experimenting social channels and seeing what's going on and having a feel of it really gives you a lot of intel into what your audience will experience. And if it's not what I want like my customers to see and I'm represented as, then do not be part of it. Our topic for the next section is going to be looking at cross-channel tracking and why we should be doing more of it by tracking a campaign level. Mark, I'm going to kick things off with you. Can you tell us a little bit more? The concept of this was we do an awful lot of tracking at channel level. So we can tell you how well your paid media campaign did, how well your email did, how well your social media posted. But that doesn't necessarily give you a good idea of how your overall campaign is done. 
So if you want to bring together all of your assets across different channels, properly track your user journey, your customer journey, you need to have to track across them at a fully campaign level rather than just at a channel level. I think that's something we don't do enough of, especially with Adaptivist. I've got to give props to Karen and Liliana, their OKR campaign in the Agile space, done that. And it's kind of been a trial for us using the campaign tool uh, within HubSpot properly. So it's something we actually have on our existing tools to actually kind of make sure we're getting proper attribution across all channels as opposed to just going, yep, this one's doing well, this one's doing well, et cetera. But getting a holistic picture, it's, it's something we're not doing enough of yet. I guess the, the question that's probably on a lot of people's minds is how hard is that actually going to be to do? Well, the joy, especially if we're talking about Adaptivist, the joy is we've already got everything there in HubSpot. So we can already track our emails in there, our social channels are all linked into it. Yes, our paid media needs a little bit of work to bring it in there properly, but that's not something that's going to be any kind of difficult to do. It's just a little bit how we use the tool differently. It means you've actually get that overview for relatively little setup. I think we did the trial one, that being uh, two ladies of Agile, myself and Gainer, who's our CRM admin. We sat down between the four of us and had this first trial one set up in about 20, 25 minutes. And a lot of that was discussion, frankly. It's setting them up is really quick and easy. And um, so it's something that we could do if it, if we choose to go that way relatively quickly and easily. It allows you to have reports as well coming out of hospital where you can show you the actual attribution of new contacts, deals, even if you're getting any deals out of it, et cetera. So it's, it's quick and potentially useful. Within Brew Digital and Adaptivist, we sometimes are guilty of not tying everything together, working with channels in a bit of a silo. What benefit, uh, and this is an open question, could we have from from connecting those campaigns up? I think like the, the, the first thing that I always think about when, when this question comes up is I often see the same piece of content goes through paid media, social, and we don't talk about it, and nor do we also see the results on the other end. And so I think this attribution is very important so that we are all in tune and we also know how to improve for the next one. I think that's something that I would personally would love to see on the social media and also how to work and with the other channels. The multi, there's the multi-channel approach that we're dis- discussing here. And there's obviously different attribution models that we can apply to that. It's also thinking about the multi-funnel approach. It's not necessarily just picking the right channels and, and making sure that they are singing together. It's also thinking about where your audience are in that sales cycle or that or that journey. I think it's very easy to run campaigns at the bottom of the funnel that are completely focused on conversion and leads. But ultimately, what are we doing to feed that bottom of the funnel, I think, is a question that we should be asking as well. If you can get things working in tandem, it means you can make a much more consistent experience for your users. And that consistency is always going to provide a better experience and uh, drive more value. So if you're bringing things properly for you, click on an ad for topic X, you go through and you get an email that's then related to that topic as well. Maybe suggest something else. And you also get a nudge along from a social post that's served to you that you see is on a similar topic. Um, it can really help drive the the message home, A, because you're getting it across the board, B, because it's consistent. So it's not this kind of diverse message of, oh, yeah, there's Adapterist doing stuff. It's Adapterist doing, I don't know, agile transformations. And you can get that kind of the reinforcement of the message across the board. So as long as the channels are working together, you can both bring things in and nurture them along through all three channels. B2B uh, land SaaS is very sales-driven. And I think it's probably about time that we focus a bit more 
on the customer and the customer is at the center of what we do. And I know Adaptivist have got a big customer experience project going, but I think we've talked about it in Brew, we've talked about it in our team about how the customer is at the center of everything we do. And I think there's a lot there I see in marketing world where the customer isn't really the focus. It's it's more about look how great we are. We want you to kind of inquire with us, but we're not really focused on what the customer needs or wants. Yeah, that kind of pain point messaging, I guess, again, can work so well because different channels can look at it in different ways. So we can show case studies in one format. We can ask questions about things in another format. We can use show, social proof in another format to show how we've helped other people. So that customer-centric approach can really pay dividends and just suits wonderfully across channel approach. We are looking in this section in a slightly different direction. We asked the Brudicial Marketing team over the last month or so, what have been their favorite marketing campaigns? That could have been internally with an adaptivist or the adaptivist group. That could have been some of our external clients. That could have been anyone in the B2B world or anyone in the B2C world. By an absolute country mile, the clear winner was Barbie, the movie. Lots of fans in here. Really going to open the floor. And I know Nasha and Salfie, this this initial recommendation came from both of you. What was it that you loved about that marketing campaign? I think like the reason why I want to bring it up is just because it's just a very well thought out marketing campaign. So all the agencies worldwide who work on it, I feel like if I could say a good job to every one of them, they literally did a great job. They really think everything across all channels and it kind of ties down. But I think why I feel like we should discuss it not necessarily asking a database to change the logo to ping or anything this month, although that will be funny. It's just more like seeing like how they really do it. So for example, yes, the main thing is they want people to watch the movie, but they also realize a really good opportunity to kind of strengthen the brand as well. So if you see, it's not just asking people to watch the movie and they have also all this brand partnership, which kind of ties in with the Barbie brand. Like Barbie, like tying in with like a makeup brand, Barbie partnership with an ice cream, Barbie partnership with a clothing. Like it kind of strengthened the brand overall and not just focusing on like, okay, watch the movie. So I think I guess for companies like the Adaptivist Group and all the business unit within it, I think like what we can learn, like assume your ebook is your Barbie the movie. So do you just ask people to just kind of like, all right, here it is, download it, done? Or you can look into, well, kind of relate to what Marat and said earlier about your customer experience. Could there any subtopics in there that you could turn into a video? Could you turn it into a LinkedIn carousel to something that you could include in your newsletter and all to just kind of really see one piece of content and like really, really use it and really plan it very, very well. So you're not just like wasting all this like money, energy and resources to just kind of get it one and then that's it. So I think that's what we can learn. Absolutely love that. But still, if we could change our logo to ping, that would be nice as well for just this month. Did you know that Mattel actually owns that color of Barbie pink? I think one of their early adverts was actually just a pink rectangle with the words coming soon, which was obviously instantly recognizable. So I guess that question from me at this point is, how much does brand play into the success of this campaign? I would say like a lot. And I think that's a good thing. They know the branding is strong. They know who their target markets are. The brand is strong. That's obviously a real driver behind it. But also Barbie is the original influencer. And the fact that 
essentially Mattel have played into the influencer market with the goddess of influencer marketing. And I think that's really clever. It's something to think about how they've really focused in on TikTok and social channels with the ultimate influencer. It's just clever as well how they've managed to have these sort of new new campaigns that are going viral on TikTok and stuff, but they've managed to like stay true to their roots as well. Like they had Margot Robbie doing all the press junkets in vintage Barbie outfits. They've kept for kind of like small details as well that like true to their fan base while making sure they're modernized. It's really clever. Earlier when we were kind of chatting and prepping for this conversation, we mentioned Barbie is being released around the same time as Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible. That's obviously going up against massive competition. Any thoughts on on how they've tackled that? They've leaned into the competition to an extent, like getting the the leads of the film to buy tickets to Oppenheimer, stand in front of an Oppenheimer poster going, look, we've done this. By acknowledging there is this competition that they are coming out on exactly the same day, they're helping each other, almost kind of propping each other up. And by forcing this competition kind of narrative, it means they can get a lot more kind of user-generated stuff out of it as well, rather than having to spend out to get the attention. It's an interesting one because there are two narratives going. Um, obviously, Oppenheimer and Barbie are the ones that are taking up more space on the so- on social media. What we see is Barbie is coming up with, you know, they basically at one point took up all the pink paint and there was like a shortage of paint because of the amount of paint that they've used for their set. But at the same time, Oppenheimer is now very proudly coming out and saying, you know, they did not use any CGI for the scenes in the movie. So it's interesting to see those two narratives playing together. But then there's also the Barbenheimer uh, trend that's going on uh, at the moment wherein you see these two films completely different from each other, but essentially like a customer is going to go see Oppenheimer and then go to watch Barbie afterwards to have like a very complete, you know, mix of emotions. So it's an interesting dynamic, I would say. There are people who I would have never expected to be excited about a Barbie movie who are genuinely considering going to see this film. I think that there was a catchphrase on the um, trailer. Or I, I'm sure I saw it on a on a poster, and it it, it said, uh, "If you love Barbie, you'll love this movie. If you hate Barbie, you'll love this movie." They've really nailed it. Kind of trying to tie things up to finish off. What can we think brands can learn from the hype that Barbie has managed to drive in this campaign? What actually stood out to me about Barbie is they're able to offer some form of emotional response. Like what I feel like Barbie did right and better is that they're able to invoke emotions in both adults and children. Their target audience is really wide and they are actually selling a dream. So like what if we had everyone live in a Barbie world and completely proceeded to collaborate with literally every sector touched by consumers? So, and they did everything right jumping into our next section a bit of a controversial topic at the moment google analytics 4 obviously google has enforced the migration from universal analytic to ga4 and i'm going to kick off with a quick question to you jason universal analytics has theoretically been turned off do we think it's too late for someone to start taking actions if they haven't done anything already No, not at all. This has been a big one in the PPC and SEO world where it's changed quite drastically. There's been a lot of chat online about how it's 
so different. There's quite a few changes. The main one for me and the problem that I'm seeing mostly is the interface change. So basically, if you're if you're you're into marketing and yeah, you use it every day. The navigation is quite different. So there's little things like specific sections are in different places. Um, yeah, another another one has been data lagging and discrepancies. So, for example, a, a business has seen that they've created some content. It, it's gone out online. They've shared it and people have viewed it, but it doesn't show up in GA4. I think Google have updated their Google Analytics certification to to really focus on GA4. Ross, you've recently completed that analytics course. How did you find that? Well, like most of the Google certifications, they don't actually provide that much insight, unfortunately. So I think the best way to kind of learn the platform and learn the intricacies of the processes is just to kind of dive in and get involved. Uh, use the dashboard, pull some reports, kind of have a play. Um, and that's going to give you a much better idea than kind of the lengthy and confusing questions that Google certifications spit out. Um, so that would be my advice personally. Again, and there is some training that Google still provide if you haven't migrated yet. What Ross just mentioned is it can be a bit confusing. It's best just get in there. It depends on your level of understanding as well. So if you're a beginner, intermediate expert on analytics, into PPC, referred domains, etc. But there are really good courses out there. From a, a kind of social media and email point of view, how have we seen those Google Analytics four changes impact what you're doing, or has there not been much impact so far? Yeah, the the way we're doing it for email, HubSpot and GA don't talk to each other particularly. It's a project we're working on. So the change yet, nothing, but hopefully it'll make it a little bit simpler to join the top in the future. And one for you, Rich, I think people are starting to just bury their heads in the sand a little bit, as opposed to being proactive and getting stuck in. How are you seeing people interacting with with the new GA4 experience? Yeah, it's similar to what Jason said, the interface is different, but also the metrics that it tracks are slightly different. Um, and there's reasons why Google shifted from Universe Analytics to GA4. I think it's basically people having to do something new. A big difference is the change in conversion tracking or, or goals to GA4, which is now event tracking. So goals were very specifically kind of targeted to an action that someone would take on the site, like filling in a form, the destination URL is a thank you page. Google would track that. So they were very kind of linked to revenue drivers on your website, whereas GA4 is now uh, uses events. And, and with events, you can still set up those conversion points so we can still track form submissions, but it also enables you to do a hell of a lot more. I think the limitations have been lifted. It's easier through analytics to track user behavior, to track what buttons people are using and stuff like that. So actually, there is a bit of a resistance and I think that's just to change. But when you actually look at what GA4 can offer, don't get me wrong, there are some annoyances that it no longer shows certain metrics and certain things that people were tracking before. But when you actually start to look into what it can do now, it will make analysis of your site and performance a lot simpler. Analytics should be able to start to surface some of that data a little bit better. What can someone listening to this go away and do right now when it comes to GA4? Yeah, definitely worth 
understanding what you you got out of it before, which you don't have now, rather than being annoyed at it. Google have changed it for a reason, and then it, it is a good thing. Um, but yeah, a lot of people getting annoyed with the change. I think the the interface change is the main one, which you can put some time in and, and learn about and understand. Yeah, I think that reassurance is, is really what we all need. We just need a, a cuddle to be quietly told that Universal Analytics is, is, is not coming back. So that leads us on to our final section. This is maybe our most controversial topic today. Lead generation. Should you spend money on acquiring downloads for an ebook or webinar if they aren't ready for a sales conversation? I'm going to start the timer now for the last time. And I will pass this one over to the team. Um, if our prospects aren't sales ready, and we know that, doesn't matter whether it's an ebook or a webinar, we will be spending money on the wrong pool of people. And what we don't want to do is spend an absurd amount of budget to the people who are only researching if our goal is to capture more sales ready leads. So I believe this is where we need to take a step back and reassess the user journey. I would say coming from my own personal experience in the past, um, working with other B2B companies, even initially when I first started out in Daptivist, I could see that we prioritize lead gen over brand building. On one hand, this does make sense. Leads and the sales they turn into are the way every company makes money. Filling up that sales pipeline is definitely top priority and I can understand that, but the question is like, what if our pipeline is bone dry? What can we do then? Don't come straight to features we offer without a bit of storytelling to captivate our leads. Coming back to the whole point when we had that Barbie conversation. So we need to form some sort sort of emotional response with our brand. Absolutely. I guess it, it kind of leads into what you see a lead as. You can pay... £50 for a prospect who downloads a PDF of your ebook, or you can spend £5 for a prospect who spends five minutes on page reading that ungated content. I think that comparison answers the question, in my opinion. It's cheaper. People generally have a better user experience, but it also brings up the really difficult question that I know is the one that's thrown back at me. How do you build data if you can't gate your content? Yeah, you know, I'm going to give a, a shout out to Jess on the script writing for this one because she shared some research with me last year uh, about ungated content and there's a thing called the reciprocity principle where basically if you ungated your content and then at the end of your webinar, ebook, whatever it is the content is, then ask for details. People are actually much more inclined to give you things because they've already had the value. Being able to gather the data we need to drive these pipelines to drive the nurture as we do i think it is possible i don't think we've tried it yet but i think it'd be a fascinating thing to test to see if we still do get the the numbers through but possibly better quality data the difficulty as well is the focus and we talked about change and stuff like that but the focus needs to shift from mqls leads however you want to classify them and shift more to the the revenue side of things which brings us back to our earlier point in the email chat about 
cross-channel attribution and how that's an important thing for us at Adaptivist to be considering is actually the campaigns we're driving, what is the revenue, not necessarily KPIing how many leads are coming off of the back of it. As we're beginning to run out of time, I want to ask the same question that we've asked for all of these topics. Actually, do you know what? I'm going to ask one more question first. Gated or ungated? Ungated, be brave. Ungated. For me, a rule of thumb when you're planning to not gate your content is if your purpose is awareness or if you have limited ungated content or your gated content has very low leads or you really don't have any visibility on your user journey. For me, I'm going to go ungated, but I'm going to say save those gates and those lead forms for when someone's ready for a conversation or when you can offer value that directly leads into a conversation with a sales prospect who is aware of your brand and who trusts you as a business. If you need more data from people, we can add extra fields without needing to ask more questions if we already know the values for certain things. If you need more data, we can do it in a way that is smarter than just adding fields to forms. Absolutely. I'm going to answer the question of what can someone listening do right now? And that's to be brave and ungate your content. Move it away from that PDF. Stick it on a landing page. Let people read it. Reap the benefits of SEO. Reap the benefits of cheaper cost per clicks and cheaper engagements and worry about generating leads when you get to the point of a sales conversation with the customer. Yeah. If the content is valuable, give it away. Thank you everyone from the Brood Digital Marketing team for joining us. Make sure to go and check out our past episodes. Subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts and we'll see you on the next one. I've been Hayden, and this has been the Marketers of the Universe podcast. Mm-hmm.